Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. What is Juneteenth? Well, when a historian activist can't even tell you, that presents a problem. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast you can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But of course, if you do it during June of 2023, use that coupon code JUNE. Get 25% off all my classes there. And this is the best time to buy them because on July 1st, all those classes go up in price. So... Beat the price increase, get the classes at 25% off. You'll never see them for this cheap again, and it's a win-win. You get great content, and you help this program. You can also click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can go to Spotify for podcasters and subscribe there. You can click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff, or go to learn true, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Lots of great ways to support the show financially, but painlessly, you can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast let people know you love it. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Also, share it around on social media. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. All those things help get more eyes and ears on the show. All right. Well, this is kind of a listener-generated episode. It comes from an article I saw posted online by someone who does listen to the program. And the article is about Juneteenth. Now, today is June 19th. So it is the new uh, holiday, the new federal holiday, Juneteenth. And it's celebrated all around the United States. People are off work. And so, ostensibly, the holiday is about the end of slavery. Now, this is not something that is bad to celebrate. We, we want to talk about ending slavery. We don't want to have slavery in the United States. But on the other hand, the problem with Juneteenth is that it really doesn't mark any real occasion. We know that on June 19th, 1865, you had some former slaves and, or some slaves in Texas, informed of their freedom. But that didn't end slavery in the United States. I've talked about that on this program before. Slavery continued for another six months in the United States. In fact, you had slave auctions in Kentucky in November of 1865. So what have been news to these people in Kentucky or Delaware or even New Jersey who were uh, technically still slaves under an apprenticeship program until December of 1865, that they were free. In fact, most people that were slaves learned they were free from the people that owned them, right? So this was owned their labor. This was usually the way it was described. Um, they were informed of their freedom, and then uh, that was that. Um, so it wasn't really this you know, day that marked the end of slavery. We know the end of slavery was not there until December of 1865. In fact, 
I'm not the only one that says that. I'm not the only one that has said that. You know who else has said that? Well, Thaddeus Stevens, the great commoner. Now, if you don't know who Thaddeus Stevens is, maybe you're listening to this program overseas. I know I do get a lot of people that listen to the show around the world. So maybe you've never heard of Thaddeus Stevens before. By the way, I have a great class at McClanahan Academy, Radical Republicans, that covers what Thaddeus Stevens said about Reconstruction and, of course, this particular issue. But Stevens was one of the most ardent radical Republicans in the United States Congress during the war. He favored vigorous prosecution of the war. Uh, He was also an individual who was a realist. And Stevens understood that the South had de facto seceded from the United States. They were no longer part of the U.S. This argument that somehow they were in rebellion and still part of the United States, he said that's complete garbage. That's a terrible argument. We know they're de facto independent. They Now, in our mind, they hadn't achieved de jure independence, meaning by law. But de facto, they were. They were operating as an independent government. They were waging war. And Stevens brings this up. How can we wage war on people in the United States? Uh, that's illegal, essentially, is what he was alluding to. We can't do that. We're treating them like a foreign enemy. So they were de facto independent. But the other thing he brings up several times is that, and he he has a a beautiful line about this. I'm going to paraphrase it because I get into it in more detail at McClanahan Academy, and I want you to buy that class. But he says, look, here's the thing. I've been told over and over again that Lincoln freed the slaves. I want you to show me where, where he's done that. Now, he's saying this at a time when the war was virtually over. Uh, He's saying it because there wasn't any freedom for slaves in the United States, not even in in the North. Now, we know that Maryland ended slavery on its own in 1864 after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued. So even after Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation, Maryland still has slavery. We know Kentucky, Delaware, these states don't end slavery. We know West Virginia was a slave state when it first entered the Union. So there were slave states in the Union. This is where I've said before that we had two slaveholding republics or federal republics, at least federal republic in the South, but now turning into a national republic in the North a national republic, which is different from a federal republic. And essentially, the war transforms the United States from a federal republic into a national republic. Not by law, but by fact. Again, that's that we get into a whole sticky situation there about the Constitution. What is it? We have two different constitutions. We're arguing these things. This is a, this is a really difficult situation for a lot of people to understand. But Stevens will say, point me, it's been said Lincoln freed the slaves, point me to where that actually happened. Because we know it didn't happen. Lincoln didn't free anybody. It was a noble thing, he said. It was a noble thing for Lincoln to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. But it didn't free a single slave. So when this general goes into Texas and tells these slaves in Texas, you're now free. Well, that wasn't necessarily true. Not legally, anyways. It didn't legally happen until December of 1865. So in reality, what we should be celebrating, if we're going to pick a day to celebrate the end of slavery in America. It should be the day the 13th Amendment was ratified, which I think was December 18th, 1865. So December 18th would become Freedom Day or Liberty Day, whatever you want to call it. I think that was the actual day. It might have been 17th. It's somewhere there. 16th or the 18th. I can't remember the exact date that it was ratified. But uh, that would be Freedom Day or Liberty Day, not June 19th 
which has nothing to do with the end of slavery. It's a day that people were informed by a union officer that they were free, but were they really at that point? That's the question. And this creates a confusing problem for historians, even those who are activists, because they know, they know that the, the day doesn't really mark any significant event in ending slavery in America. It's not like it was a definitive day, like you know, July 4th. Definitive day. That's the day John Hancock signs the Declaration. Essentially, that becomes Independence Day. We know. You can pick birthdays, whether it's Martin Luther King Day, right? That was his birthday, right? So that's the day we're celebrating. Christmas, it's a day. We know what it is. We know what these things do. We know what these federal holidays are, right? So Memorial Day, which, by the way, has also Confederate overtones to it because it wouldn't have existed without Confederate Decoration Days and their own Confederate Memorial Days, and so the Union copied that, but or Armistice Day, which is now Veterans Day. We know what these days mark and what they represent. Labor Day. Labor Day is kind of a you know, strange day in some ways. It's a it's a leftist holiday. But see, this is the this is what we get into with holidays now. We politicize everything. This is a political holiday. It was created because of activists. It was created because of political activists and because of the pressure put on people by um, things like the 1619 Project in public circles. We've got to do something about this. The perception is that nobody ever taught uh, black history in America, which is simply not true. Now, I know, every, I mean, I've read accounts where people said, I never was exposed to black history in America. Well, I don't know what, what classes they attended, but I know I was all throughout. Now, if you go to take a Western civilization class, well, you're not going to be exposed to it very much. Why? Because it's about Europe. But I know for a fact in every U.S. history class I ever had, it didn't matter uh, you know, how old I was, this stuff was brought up. I mean, black history was brought up. It was part of the curriculum. It was something we talked about. It was something that was important. So this is creating this myth that people don't actually talk about this. And when I wrote my Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes, there was a, a, a survey done, and it was about, you know, Kids being asked questions. If you can't pick a president or a first lady, who would you say are the most important people in America? And they did this survey and they found that in the areas of the United States that had the least amount of diversity, the least amount of diversity, you had the most diverse answers about who they would pick. People like Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King. I mean, these are the people that would be American heroes. These are the areas of the United States that are the least diverse and they have the most diverse answers. Which, on its surface, should seem rather odd, but it does. It actually makes sense when you think about it, because in these areas you have a lot of people that want to talk about these things because of um, the uh, the problem of guilt in history and uh, virtue signaling in history. I mean, this is what we've got. This is what I've talked about on the show. Why do eighth graders not know any history? Because it's all about guilt. We get a lot of that. It's a lot of guilt-driven history. And so people don't like it anymore because they don't want to feel guilty. They don't want to go. It's like, okay, let's go into this class today and just have 50 minutes of shame. Why does anybody want to go through that? I have a friend of mine. I'm not going to say what, what, uh, what group he works with. But he was telling me the other day that um, he, he really fears for historical societies in the future all these organizations, because what's going to happen? You get all these leftist activists, like I'm going to talk about today with this historian, these leftist activists who go in 
and they get in these organizations, organizations for people they hate, and they change them, right? And you see this with Thomas Jefferson. You see it with George Washington. You see it with all these organizations. You get these activists in them, and then they want to change the narrative about these people. And because, well, we can't say anything about that. I mean, we can't say, well, that's kind of stupid. Let's just talk about how great George Washington was or Thomas Jefferson was or take your pick of these people that are great men. No, no, no. We have to talk about all the bad things that they were. All the bad stuff. It's not about them being great. It's not about them being people that we should look up to or admire that did great things for the United States or great things for America, whatever it is. No, no, no. We can't have Lewis and Clark anymore. No, no. We can't have a statue honoring them because, well, uh, they had conflicts with Indians on the frontier. And then you have this... I mean, this is just stupid. It's, it's really historically stupid. But it's where we are. We've got activists masquerading as historians who don't really do any work, by the way. That's the other thing that's funny. These people produce such bad stuff most of the time. You can't digest. It's bad. You go out and read most academic histories, and they're written so poorly that you can't even read them. They're awful. So I want to get into this uh, this piece. Uh, it's uh, at the... It's the All Things Pen Arts and Sciences. Omnia is there. It's the uh, University of Pennsylvania. Ben Jessica Gladney, a fifth-year PhD candidate in the Department of History, wants to understand the concept of resistance. She wants to understand the concept of resistance. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is funny. You know, if... I'm in a situation where a PhD can I want I want to understand the concept of resistance. Well, that uh, that's a great topic. So what you going to do to do this? Well, for a dissertation, she's studying it in the context of Shays' Rebellion, a series of violent uprisings by those who opposed taxes and other economic hardships in Massachusetts in 1786. Specifically, she's focused on the women involved. <laughs> both those who supported the rebellion and those on the government side. How did ordinary people imagine a government and shape a government right after the revolution, she says. I hope to show that women were just as involved in that conversation as men. I hope to show. So basically, she's starting with a, a thesis and then going to find information that fits that thesis, not going out and saying, well, let's look at all the information we have and let's talk about Shay's rebellion. Were there really even any women involved? Well, if they're not, then fine. What she's going to do is say, well, I found this little bit and this little bit and this little bit. And so I'm going to write a dissertation. The reason it's taken her five years, because I can almost guarantee you there's not a whole lot of information out there. But she's going to go out and find this and find that and find this little bit. And then she's going to make a, you know, well, women had a lot to say about this. And then there's not going to be much there. And it's going to get all kinds of awards and everything else because, well, she has a public profile. And uh, well, that's Van Jessica Gladney. And so her stuff is going to be important when it probably isn't even very good. Uh, but I digress. I mean, maybe it is going to be great. I don't know. But this is the kind of stuff you get in these modern programs. She's going to look at Shay's Rebellion. Now, in the spirit of resistance, why would she pick something in Massachusetts? I mean, if she wants to study the impact, and she talks so much about black history and, this, and the importance of that, why would she pick that topic? There's a lot of stuff out there you could study with resistance in that. Sure. Why pick something in Massachusetts? Why do that? I don't know. 
I mean, if this is the area she's focusing on, she actually works at the Pen and Slavery Project. So we go from her dissertation, where it's about Shays' Rebellion in Massachusetts, where, where she's focused on uh, ordinary people. How do ordinary people imagine government and shape a government right after the revolution? How do ordinary people do this? Was she talking about the people in Shays' Rebellion or just the women? I mean, were these men not ordinary people? I don't know. I mean, this is, I don't know, because I haven't read her, her prospectus or anything that she wants to do with this. But regardless, doesn't sound like a very exciting topic. But again, maybe somebody thinks this is really exciting. It sounds pretty boring. So the piece continues through the Penn and Slavery Project, which centers on uncovering the connection between the University of Pennsylvania and the institution of slavery. Gladding has also been trying to share the voices and perspectives of people who have been enslaved. The project started in 2017 during Gladney's senior year at Penn. So maybe here she's been there five years. So I could see she's been Penn. She just continued in. So I can get the five years at that point. Right? She started in. It's taken her some time. Five years is not unreasonable if you start your master's there. That's not unreasonable. Today she's the Penn and Slavery Project digital historian. She's also collaborating with those colleagues who turn the six-stop virtual reality tour they created into a tour that can be taken in real life. We want people to be able to hear about information of the project in person and get boots on the ground when we think about where the history is, she says. As a historian, Gladney aims to foster greater public dialogue on past events and moments like these, including Juneteenth, which President Biden formally made a federal holiday in 2021. Two years after that acknowledgement, Omnia spoke with Gladney about what the day means and what conversation she hopes it will foster. So uh, she works at the Penn and Slavery Project, wants to have this digital project. Again, this is great. I mean, you want to have more history, you want to get more people interested in stuff. Sure, let's do all this stuff. Let's have all these different projects and programs and everything else so we can talk about all these different things in history. No one would have a problem with any of that. They shouldn't. They shouldn't have a problem with that. Sure, let's talk about these things. Now, UPenn is probably going to, uh, with, with what UPenn was and the influence in Pennsylvania of the Quakers, would be in a little different situation. I mean, Quakers didn't have slaves because they did, even though, um, of course, they, uh, their, their religious dogma required that they wouldn't. Their theology required they wouldn't. But you can find Quakers that had slaves all over the place. What was the connection between Penn and slavery? I've not really investigated that very much. I'm sure that there's something there that wouldn't have this project, but um, it's probably not as, as deep as, say, uh, Harvard or Yale or Brown. I mean, some of these other Ivy League schools, which would have had much more to it. Pennsylvania was in a little different situation. But this is where the piece gets really interesting. In your own words, how would you describe Juneteenth? She says, Juneteenth is a celebration of the day when the last enslaved people were informed of the freedom. False. That's false. Well after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and after the Civil War was over. False. So you already have a historian who doesn't even know the history. She's a historian of resistance and doesn't even know that this is a false statement. It's not false. There were still slaves being sold after June 1865. There's no last slaves here. To me, it represents the end of slavery as was defined at the time. That's an important statement. It represents the end of slavery as it was defined at the time, but not the end of slavery. 
And she makes that point at the end of the piece. It's not the end of slavery. It's just the end of slavery as it was defined at the time. Now, there's a lot of libertarians who would actually agree with that. Yeah, I mean, so we still have slavery today. We have tax slavery. We have slavery to the government. We have all these things. Are you really your own person? Does somebody own you? I mean, they own your wages. You don't get those before the government gets them. That's the way that works. I mean, that's theirs. You work for them. And then they take theirs, and then you get whatever's left, and you're happy about it, right? So is that slavery? So she's saying slavery so continues. She says it at the end of this piece. It's a moment to integrate, uh, I'm sorry, it's a moment to interrogate what we mean when we say freedom and independence. A moment to think about just how Juneteenth was after the Emancipation Proclamation. How long Juneteenth was after the Emancipation So this is what it means. It's a celebration of the day when the last enslaved people were informed. That's false. But to me, it represents the end of slavery as was defined at the time. It's a moment to interrogate what we mean when we say freedom and independence. A moment to be an activist. A moment to think about just how long Juneteenth was after the Emancipation Proclamation. But of course, the Emancipation Proclamation freed no slaves where Lincoln had any power to do it. Stadius Stevens said this. So the whole paragraph is false. It's fake history. It's fake news. It's not really a celebration of the end of slavery at all. But yet, uh, that's what she says. The question, why do you imagine Juneteenth was finally recognized as a federal holiday in the U.S. and what conversation do you think it has spurred? Answer, there's this tendency in a kind of comfort in learning, believing, digesting these nugget-sized narratives. Holidays like Juneteenth encourage people to question the stories they've been told about the country and the stories the country tells about itself. That can be incredibly uncomfortable. Maybe this is just me being a historian or a Pollyanna, but I believe the best way to learn about our past and change the present is to learn into that, lean into that discomfort. I'm sorry. So to be uncomfortable. That's the best way to learn about the past and, and change the present. So in other words, to be an activist, the best way to be an activist is to be a historian. You see, it's not about understanding anymore. It's not about understanding anything at all. It's about changing the present. It's about activism. That's what historians have become. They're all little activists running around. These are all political people running around. And because of politics, they get involved in history. And then, of course, they use that to be an activist. Even if what they're saying is wrong, it doesn't matter. Because you're on the right side of history or whatever that means. Hopefully, public recognition can start those difficult conversations that maybe won't create backlash. And there should be some sort of language we're ready to use about the historical importance of the day. What is Juneteenth should be a question that's asked and answered all of June. All of June, not just one day. We need to recognize and center the ways that slavery, abolition, and emancipation are crucial parts of this holiday. But again, it's a celebration of one particular day in Texas that had no impact on anywhere else in the United States. Not one place. Question. It's jarring to hear the words slavery, abolition, and emancipation in the same sentence as holiday when talking about Juneteenth. Answer. That's one of the challenges as a historian, as a person of color, as a woman. It's so challenging to define celebration because in all those categories, we're celebrating small wins, chipping away at the barriers that have prevented America from living up to its foundational ideas. 
living up to his foundational ideas. So again, I've mentioned before on this program, and I've said it, 1619 is all about the proposition nation myth. What were those ideas? What were the founding ideas? Well, independence. Washington, which of course, I'm going to say this, my next class at McClanahan Academy is going to be reading George Washington. George Washington said, well, we're fighting for liberties and property. That's what we're fighting for. Liberties and property. Is that the foundational ideas? If it was, well, doesn't that fly in the face of what you're saying here? Because he didn't say anything about equality. He didn't say anything about... Uh, he did. Washington did say something about uh, uh, human rights. He did say that. But more importantly, liberties and property. And so, but did he say anything about equality, any of that? No, he didn't say anything like that. In their mind, this idea of equality meant that the king, King George, and the parliament weren't above the colonists. They weren't above the colonials. They weren't above, they had the same status as those people, which goes back to the Magna Carta. No one was above the law. So then, this is the part where the, the phrase is really, then she, she kind of, I mean, I don't even know how to describe what she does here. Um, it becomes pretty confusing. She says, it's hard to make Juneteenth a holiday. I guess you can call it a day of remembrance. It's a complicated day. It's a day of frustration and celebration and a reminder of how much we have left to do. So it's not really a holiday. No, no, it's a day of, uh, a day of remembrance, a day of frustration, a day of celebration, and a reminder of how much we have left to do. In other words, it's a day of activism. The whole point of the day is to ensure that we continue to be good leftist activists in America. To talk about the proposition nation myth. That's what we have to do on Juneteenth. Now, again, I think a day celebrating the end of slavery is a day of celebration in America. But that didn't happen on June 19th. That happened with the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Which, by the way, some of these people don't like either because it actually allows for people to stay in slavery if they're, if they're held as a prisoner. So you can still be a slave if you're a prisoner. That's fine. So I don't really like that one either. This is where Kanye West got in so much hot water when he said, we need to abolish the 13th Amendment. Right? I mean, that was the point. Abolish the 13th Amendment because he was worried about that part of it. This is uh, convict labor, right? Slavery, which is something that people talked about. So what are we doing here? It's a day of celebration. It's a day of uh, remembrance. It's all about living up to its foundational ideas. The proposition nation myth. Even if the history isn't correct, even if it's not accurate, even if it doesn't have anything to do with history, it's all about activism, we should have a day about activism. And she ends it with this. As Juneteenth becomes part of a broader public dialogue, what do you hope results? I hope it leads to an understanding that black history is an important part of American history because it is American history. Well, yeah. I mean, who who hasn't said that? I hope it hopes Lee's understanding that black history is an important part of American history because it is American history. So is she saying there, and it's hard to understand, is she saying that black history is the complete American history or it's it's the core of American history? That's what the 1619 Project hopes to do. Is that the case, that black history is the core of American history? Well, I would disagree with that entirely. Or is she just saying it's part of American history because it is, quote-unquote, American history? It's not something separate from American history? I think that's more 
like it, but and she kind of she 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 you know she says that a little later she qualifies that statement. She says you cannot tell the story of the United States of America without telling all the facets. We still have so many more to unpack and uncover. It feels weird to use the word integrate in this context because it also feels frustrating to consider Black history as something completely unrelated and separate. It's all part of the American story. Look, I don't disagree with her here. We need to tell this story. We need to tell the story of people in America and what they what they did and their contribution to things and all of the issues surrounding that. That is part of the story. When you're talking about history, if you're looking at social history in general or economic history, cultural history, these things are all part of it. Now, political history, uh, unless it's how the issue of slavery was used in politics, there's really no, not a whole lot there. But this is where Eugene Genovese's role, Jordan Roll, was so important. Fogel and Engerman's Time on the Cross. Uh, even the new book by David Hackett Fisher, African Founders. These are important books. People should read these things. Without question, people should read these things. And they should understand it. And you should see the, the interrelationship and the complex nature of American history and the American story. Without This should all happen. But to think that this isn't being done or hasn't been done, is preposterous. It's preposterous. I, I again, I never encountered a class in any time, in any level of of, uh, of schooling, where we didn't talk about these things, in one way or another. If we can add Juneteenth to the litany of other holidays that tell the American story, if we can fold that in, it won't become as scary. I don't think anybody's scared of it. I think people just look at it and say, well, wait a second here. I mean, it's confusing. Even to the person that's, I don't even know what we do with this day. I don't know what it's really a day about. Well, it's not really a historical day because it doesn't celebrate anything, really, except for the fact that some slaves in Texas were told that they were free that day. But it doesn't mark the end of slavery in America. It's a, it's a faux holiday. That's the whole problem with it. Celebrate it in December with the ratification of the 13th Amendment. But, of course, that's going to get too close to Christmas, and then people would forget about it. and So that would be difficult. But, I mean, that's so you pick a day in June, and there's nothing really going on in June. We're, we're a month out from July 4th, which, by the way, as I mentioned in that podcast on 11 songs that drive Wokies insane, the story mentions, well, why is it that black Americans don't celebrate July 4th? This becomes their Independence Day. We're basically creating then two Independence Days in America. If we don't, if we're looking to integrate and not separate, then why do we do this? Isn't July 4th Independence Day? Isn't a day we can celebrate? If we're talking about founding ideals and we say that we believe in the proposition nation, that's what it all is. Isn't July 4th celebrate all of that? It's a positive day. But she's saying this is a day to make people feel uncomfortable. Well, why do you want to do that? Where's that going to make people feel good about anything? It should be a part of the conversation. Slavery was such a prevalent part of our past, and it's a prevalent part of our present. That's a tremendous statement there at the end. It's a prevalent part of our past, and it's a prevalent part of our present. It is. It is. So in the United States, we still have slavery. Now, of course, what she means by that is that the impact of slavery is still felt today and everywhere. But when you say it's a prevalent, slavery is a prevalent part of our present, what have you just done? You're saying that we've never done anything. We, we're still living in 1860. 
in America. This is, we're still that bad. We've not gone anywhere. Let's talk about these things over and over again. Let's browbeat people with it. Let's make people feel guilty or you have the, have the hour of shame or whatever it is. This is what we need to do. People don't like this stuff. They want to feel good about things that happen. And you see it with, say, Republicans who champion uh, the Lincolnian myth. This is what they're trying to do. Look, I'm proud of the fact that we ended slavery through a war. I'm proud of the fact, and I saw this, I think it was Charlie Kirk the other day. I'm proud of this. I'm proud that we got rid of slavery. I'm proud that you know all these men died for freedom. I'm proud of all of that. Because what you're doing here is you're making people feel guilty. And that's not what people really like when it comes to history. That's the problem with it. You have to make this about a celebration. And if it's going to celebrate something, it should be about ending. I mean, is not abolition or emancipation? I mean, is this what we're... Are those things not worth celebrating? That's a question. Are they not worth celebrating? If they are worth celebrating, then what's the problem with Juneteenth if that's what it really does celebrate? No, because that's not what it's about. It's about talking about slavery and, and making people feel bad. See, it's about activism. That's the real thing. And she says it. It's a day of frustration and how much we still have left to do. A day of remembrance, remembering about slavery. It's not really a celebration at all. We're not celebrating anything. We're celebrating or we're remembering. It's a day that, you know, there's penance here that we have to do. That's what it feels like for a lot of people. That's why they don't like the day. So, regardless, we should be celebrating the end of something. If there's going to be a celebration of slavery, great. Let's celebrate that. But if we're going to talk about you know, slavery, and, and she says it, it's the context of the time, what that term actually meant. What does it mean now? Well, is it something else? These are big questions, and you can see, if you, if you know how to read this stuff, you can read between the lines here and what she's actually trying to say. She's making some statements that kind of drop, but you, they drop them, and then there's no explanation about it. But if you know what these people are getting into, you know what they're trying to do. She is an activist masquerading as a historian. And that's what we've gotten with most historians nowadays, particularly on the left. This is what they do. And that's why we get people not liking history. It's because it's just about activism. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClendon Show. I'll see you tomorrow in the next one. See you then.